We've hit the symbolic halfway point in the baseball season, so we'll give some midterm grades to our Milwaukee Brewers. Also, we're going to get into the NBA and talk about a trade that isn't happening because of a trade that did, and we'll hit some NFL stories and headlines as well. All of that coming up on today's edition of the 414 Sports Podcast. Let's go. But instead, it's the 414 Sports Podcast, and it starts right now. Welcome in. This is the 414 Sports Podcast. I'm Don Wachillis. Thank you so much for logging in and joining us, whether you've done so on Spotify, Google, Apple, or any of the other five platforms that we currently reside on. Glad to have you with us on this episode. As we said in the opening, we'll take a look at our Milwaukee Brewers as we sit at the symbolic halfway point of the season with the All-Star Game being played tonight that being at the time of us putting this podcast together. As we close out this episode, we're going to talk about Juan Soto, who last night as part of the All-Star festivities, won the Home Run Derby, but there's a bigger story there in him gambling on his abilities with regards to his future and paychecks and all of that. So we'll close the podcast out talking about Juan Soto. We'll get into some NBA news, talking about a trade that occurred that's really preventing a marquee player, probably one of the best players in the NBA from getting traded at this point, and maybe within the first half of this upcoming NBA season. We'll talk about that a little bit. And with regards to the NFL, as we approach training camp in about two weeks, we'll put out some podcasts where we simply look at each division within the NFL, take a look at those teams, give some insight into how we think those teams are going to fare as we look into the crystal ball for the upcoming season. And that's what we'll be doing, as I said, in about two weeks as training camp approaches and actually gets underway, because that's where I think the storylines are going to be coming. People wondered if somebody like Jordan Love would be traded during the draft, and I was one of them. And once in, in my eyes, the Atlanta Falcons chose a quarterback that kind of ended the trade talk seemingly for the Green Bay Packers and Jordan Love. It just seemed like the Atlanta Falcons was that spot where Jordan Love could have landed. And when they drafted a quarterback and that went by the wayside, the talk of Jordan Love being traded really subsided. As we get into training camp, One of the unfortunate things with regards to the NFL always is injuries. And so once the injury bug hits, that's when I think you may hear some more talk about Jordan Love being put on the trading block. Also, when it comes to the Packers and people still looking at whether or not they're going to bring in a marquee receiver, that's when I think that talk will amp up again because you're going to see other teams 
for financial reasons, let go quality players because they have drafted or developed a player that they feel like will take that individual spot. And since we're talking about the wide receiver position, that's where I think we're going to see a potential marquee wide receiver being brought up to Green Bay as training camp progresses. So we'll again, in about two weeks, we'll get into all of the minutia that leads into the NFL season as training camp begins to open. Let's, though, turn our attention now to our Milwaukee Brewers, who at the symbolic halfway point of the season sit seven games of five above 500, excuse me, at 50 and 43, a half game against the Cardinals, who sit at 50 and 44. And then it's double digit advantages against Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Cincinnati in our own division. So, sport talk radio around the city over the last, oh, shall we say, four or five days has erupted in a firestorm with regards to the Milwaukee Brewers. Because once again, the Milwaukee Brewers heading into the All Star break, they limped a little bit. And listening yesterday, to 12.50 a.m., The Fan here in Milwaukee. Tim Allen was on the afternoon show with Toby Altizer and talking about the Milwaukee Brewers. And I've said it before, if there's anybody in this city who's in the media who follows the Brewers more intensely and knows more about their current status as well as their history, it's Tim Allen. The franchise knows his stuff when he's talking about the Milwaukee Brewers. And so he gave out some statistics, and I'm not going to get into all of those because they're very easily looked up, especially in this day and age with Google. But he talked about, for instance, the last six to ten games going into the All-Star break under Craig Council's tenure. Now, it also goes precedingly before Craig Council, but going into the All-Star break, There's a trend with the Milwaukee Brewers that they keep looking for that break, right? I just got to let me get to the break and then I can recoup, re-energize, and we'll head forward from there. And what ends up happening, as Tim pointed out in his interview yesterday, was how going into these breaks, the Brewers have fared and they have not fared well. I think the one outlier is they had one season where they finished going into the All-Star break in a 10-game span. They went 6-4, and 7-3, something of that nature. But for the most part, they're a a 2-6, 2-4 kind of finishing when heading into any sort of break. And it seems as if there's a mentality adjustment. Now, the Brewers live and die as of late under this current regime with analytics. And there's nothing wrong with analytics. But in all sports, there's this crazy thing called momentum. And when momentum isn't there, I don't care what kind of analytics you have, it's this, I don't know, second nature type thing that floats in the atmosphere that you can sense. And with the brewers sensing that they're going into a break, they seem to just relax a little bit. And when they relax a little bit, we see things like we've seen over the last few games against the San Francisco Giants. Once again, somebody like Josh Hader, who has been absolutely phenomenal, blowing up and not having any sort of rhythm whatsoever and literally costing the Brewers games they were winning 
when he has been the one constant to shut things down and secure victories for the Brewers. It's been the exact opposite heading into the All-Star break. We also saw something of this last year when the Brewers secured the division with, what, two weeks to go? And so the attitude of the Brewers was, let's rest, guys, which I understand. It's a long season. We talk constantly on this podcast about it being a marathon. And so they began to rest, guys. And again, that mentality of let's get to the break, let's add the break, and this being the break being the end of the regular season heading into the postseason, we'll flip the switch and go. The problem is, especially going into the postseason, you need momentum. And that's what the Brewers lacked last year heading into the postseason. They had no momentum. And remember, last year at this time, the Atlanta Braves, the eventual World Series champions, statistically in so many areas were horrible. I, I wish I had a better adjective. They were they were not good. They were struggling. They make an acquisition. They get on a run, and that momentum carried them all the way through to a World Series championship. Whether or not the Brewers can do that remains to be seen. But they're going to need to figure out how to garner some momentum because the fact is they're in first place, which is joyous in and of itself, in the NL Central. But you're starting to hear people complaining about complacency. Are the Brewers being complacent? Are the Brewers essentially becoming the Green Bay Packers of baseball in our state. Now, some of you just heard that line and went, duh. I mean, right? They're the home teams. We've got the Packers and the Brewers of their respective sports. But what I'm getting at is this. Seemingly, the Packers are good with having enough talent to get them into the playoffs. And then once they get to the playoffs, they're willing to just roll the dice and hope they get on a run and make that run and get themselves to a Super Bowl. I'm starting to wonder if the Milwaukee Brewers are in that same facet. Let's get to the playoffs. And as long as we get to the playoffs, then we'll just see what happens. And that in and of itself now isn't really good enough. That would have been good enough five, six years ago. Five, six years ago when this team struggled mightily to get to any sort of playoff baseball, you were just happy to get there. Now they've proven they can get to the playoffs. Now it's about taking that next step. That's where Stearns and the rest of the front office where Council and his coaching staff need to figure out a way, how do we take that next step? And that next step is going to be crucial because right now you've got a lot of fans that are throwing their hands up in the air just out of frustration. It's a team that, again, is seven games over five hundred, but go into the All-Star break three and seven, losers of their last three. This is a team right now as we make our way through these midterm grades offensively, let's start there. They're not playing well. You do not have one hitter on this team that's hitting over 300. Not one. Not one. And you've got a bunch of guys who are hitting well below what their averages, their career averages are. And we've said it before on an earlier podcast, if we could get this current roster to hit for average, hit for their career averages, they would be in a much better place. Now, granted, some of these players have also dealt with injuries, but a lot of teams deal with injuries. 
a lot of teams in the course of this long season are going to deal with injuries. So if the Brewers are going to be serious about making a run, a deep run of any sort in the upcoming playoffs, because you got to figure based on the way the current playoff system now is set with the wild card addition to it, it would be really difficult looking at this team and thinking that they will not at all make the playoffs. Now, whether they win the division, which I think many of us thought they should do hands down, whether that happens now has suddenly come into question just watching the way this team is played. But if, for instance, you could get somebody, let's say, like Colton Wong, who right now is only hitting 227. And again, I've said this before, I focus in on the batting average. I know there's all kinds of on-base percentage and slugging percentage, and there's all of these different stats that people who love analytics and sports really dive into. Uh, to me, it's simply, let's look at the average. Keep it simple, right? There's, there's the old theory in business where, where some uh, executives will put KISS on the wall, which simply stands for keep it simple, stupid. And that, that would be my approach to this. You don't have to overindulge into the analytic side of things. Just take a look at what we're seeing. Andrew McCutcheon hitting 255, kind of what we expected from Andrew McCutcheon coming in. Only nine homers, however, at the midway point. Would love to see the home run total go up a little bit while he continues to hit in that 250, maybe 260 range would be great. And then you can go right down the line. I mean, guys like Hunter Renfro, 243, Willie Adamas at 220. And, of course, the one person that gets picked on the most is Christian Yelich. And Christian Yelich right now getting the average up, hitting 251. That move to the leadoff spot seems to be one that has helped him tremendously. So these guys have the potential to hit better. If they can hit better, they're going to need some more offense. They just are, and they're going to need timely offense. Their run production is not horrible when you base it against some of the other teams in Major League Baseball, but it's the timely hitting. It's the failure to bring in runners when you have things like bases loaded. I think it's six or seven times I heard on the radio yesterday so far in this season that the Brewers have had bases loaded and have not been able to drive in a run. That obviously is an issue moving forward, especially if you're going to be a playoff team that makes a deep run. Now, the one area where the Brewers have done very well is on the pitching side. Corbin Burns with a 2.14 ERA, Eric Lauer at 3.6, Brandon Woodruff at 3.9, Aaron Ashby at a 4.5. You would love to see that come down. Devin Williams out of the bullpen with a 1.77. And then you look at Josh Hader. And his ERA has exploded in just the last couple of weeks now to four and a half. Josh Hader was in that 177 Devin Williams range not that long ago, and suddenly now he has done some things coming in for save opportunities that, as you can see by the ERA, it's exploded, and he's blown some saves that he normally wouldn't. Before we get into the Hader thing, we also got to bring up the fact that Freddie Peralta has been on the IR. He's only pitched uh, or has five games necessarily in that one loss category. He's pitched a few more than that, but he sits three and two on the year. So if you get somebody like Freddie Peralta back into the mix and you get that ERA to come down a little bit and you get a healthy Freddie Peralta, the issue has not been necessarily pitching on this team. 
except for, as of late, Josh Hader. He's in a slump. He's in a slump, uh, I hate to say, of epic proportions because we're at the midway point. He's dealt with the birth of his first child. He's dealt with the fact that uh, that birth had some complications, so he's had some family issues to wrestle with. But going forward from a professional standpoint, you're going to need Josh Hader to be Josh Hader. There's no other way to get to go around it. I mean, the epic collapse was the other night when he gives up a grand slam to Mike Ustremski, uh, where the Brewers are leading by one with nobody out now in the ninth. I checked that. I'm sorry. There was one out in the ninth. You had bases loaded. He gives up the walk-off grand slam. That's not Josh Hader. That's not what we've seen. But we also know that relief pitchers are a lot like offensive linemen in that when it goes, it goes. There's no gradual deterioration. When you watch an NFL offensive lineman, one year they can be a Pro Bowl caliber, they come back the next year, and you just you scratch your head, you don't know what went wrong. They're not the same individual. And as we say time and time again, age wins. Age wins all the time. You can defy age to a point. Tom Brady is defying age to a point. But at some instance, if he tries to keep playing, suddenly his production is just going to drop, no matter what Tom Brady does, because age always wins. Do I think age is the factor here for Josh Hader? No, I think there's a lot of things off the field, as we noted with the birth of his first child, the complications that his wife went through to deliver that child, those things, I think, played a part. But from a business side, again, what do you do? Do you feel as if Josh Hader can compartmentalize those things and be able to block some of that stuff out when he gets on the mound? Or has he not had to ever deal with that or learn how to deal with that? And that's going to create an issue. So then if that creates an issue... Do you start thinking about trading Josh Hader? That's obviously one of the key talking points in this city right now. Personally, I don't think you do it. I think you work with Josh Hader because he's shown the 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 capacity to really pitch well, obviously, in some very clutch situations. And so you hope that this is just an anomaly where his, his this dip statistically happened heading into the all-star break, that he'll be able to rebound and regain his status as one of the elite closers in all of baseball. But there are those right now who think, here's a guy who still has value. Can we trade him since we've seen Devin Williams kind of take the place of Josh Hader here as of late? Can we trade Josh Hader and get something for him maybe offensively? Maybe it's not another pitcher that rolls into the Milwaukee Brewer lineup, maybe it's somebody offensively that can spark this team and get things going and get the offensive side moving a little bit more. So it'll be interesting, as it always is, heading into the second part of this season. We're halfway through, as we've called it time and time again, the marathon. So we've hit that 13 and change mile point, that mile marker, moving forward, and we'll see how the Brewers do on the latter half. And this as a quick side note as we we wrap up, and I'll, I'll use this as a personal side note, and this is directly to the Milwaukee Brewers. Guys, you got to figure out your parking. You just do. 
I, I understand prices have gone up, and I'm, I'm not even talking about what it is to park a car, the, the expense it is now to park a car. I'm talking about the system. And I feel bad for these poor people that are out there taking the money, giving the ticket, and directing you where to park who are hearing it from many in these lines that have existed because the current status of how you're parking cars isn't working. You keep telling people to get there prior to the event, right? You would think an hour before the event would be enough time to park a car in a lot like American Family Field has. This is not trying to park, let's say, downtown by the Pfizer Forum in a structure or on the street or having to park at a certain point and walk, whatever the case may be. We're talking about pulling into a lot, acres and acres of parking that surround American Family Field. And for some reason, I've seen it more this year than in the past, the congestion that has occurred in trying to get these cars to park. And I feel terrible for these people who are standing out in a day like today. I mean, I, I granted, it's the all-star break. There is no baseball. But there are hot days when those workers, those parking attendants are out there taking money, giving tickets, directing, and getting an earful because there are people that have been stuck in, in essence, a traffic jam for 45 minutes trying to park their car. So to the Milwaukee Brewers, guys and, and women, Figure it out. I know you have a plan. I know it's not haphazard. I know there's a plan there, but the plan needs some tweaking uh, moving forward to the second half of the season. All right, a little personal side note there as we wrap up some baseball talk. When we come back after this break, I want to talk about an NBA trade that has had a massive effect on another key marquee player in the NBA at this point not being traded. And I question whether or not will be traded, has he's requested. We'll talk about it right after this. All right, let's talk some NBA because we've got a trade that took place that's really hampering another marquee player in the league from being traded himself. And I'm focusing on that because thankfully here in Milwaukee, when we look at our Bucks, things are pretty calm. And I'm sure if you're a beat writer, I'm sure if you are a daily sports show talk host you'd probably want a little bit more drama because it would feed the content but it's refreshing after looking at what some of these other teams are going through and some of the crazy decisions that front offices are making to know that our bucks are just doing fine and will proceed and tweak and do different things to get ready for the upcoming season but that trade i was talking about with kevin durant who now wants to leave brooklyn even though Kyrie Irving signed that extension, and now Kyrie Irving is trying to do everything he can to get to Los Angeles, all of these things are being hampered by a number of reasons. I mean, there's the four-year confinement of the contract that Kevin Durant signed with Brooklyn, so they're really in no rush. And if you don't want to play, you don't get paid, and 
those intricacies play in from the financial side. Kyrie Irving's got a one-year extension. I don't think anybody in Brooklyn is really worried because if they wanted Kyrie long-term, they would have signed him to a max, and they didn't. And so the fact that Kyrie wants out, they're like, yeah, okay, whatever. It, it's okay. We're not we're not sweating this one because we're going to try and get what we can out of him, hopefully, this upcoming season. And then what happens after that to whoever the other NBA team that will pull him into the fold, whatever you guys get, good luck, God bless, and we'll move forward. But it was a trade that took place just after free agency started between the Utah Jazz and the Minnesota Timberwolves that is really kind of now hampering the Brooklyn Nets from trading Kevin Durant, and I say it this way because of what this trade was between those two teams has now set the bar so high in what teams will be asking, especially for someone of the talent of Kevin Durant. So when Utah and Minnesota went about the business of trading, in this case, Rudy Gobert from Utah to Minnesota, and you look at what the Jazz received for a player like Rudy Gobert. Now, Rudy Gobert is a fine player. He, he's a very good defender. But I don't think he's the guy who will necessarily be in the rarefied air of, let's say, a LeBron James, a Michael Jordan, a Giannis. He's a good player. But what Minnesota gave up is what is hampering the Kevin Durant deal. So Minnesota gives up Malik Beasley, Patrick Beverly, Leandro Balmero, I hope I said his name correctly, Walk, Walker Kessler, and Jared Vanderbilt. Fine. You got you got some role players. You got you got some people to actually fill out your roster. But this is where the kicker comes in and this is where a number of NBA executives are a little bit up in arms because of the capital that Minnesota gave up on the draft side. So Minnesota gives up four first-round selections, 2023, 2025, 2027, and 2029, and they give up a 2026 first-round pick swap for Gobert. Now, for Minnesota, Minnesota's got themselves and kind of we're an all-in, let's-do-this-now mentality, and they feel as if Rudy Gobert is that player that will help the Minnesota Timberwolves take the next step. But when you see all of those draft picks and you see the fact that along with those draft picks, the Utah Jazz got six players. Now, whether or not those six players wear a Utah Jazz uniform next year, who knows? But then what happens for Danny Ainge at Utah, who has decided to just blow the team up and start over, essentially. He's got options that he can put a draft pick and, let's say, a Malik Beasley together to trade for somebody to get a piece that they're missing. Many think Minnesota paid too much. And so if that was the asking price for Rudy Gobert, you can only imagine what the Brooklyn Nets are asking for. The Brooklyn Nets have to be asking for that minimally, and who knows what else. Kevin Durant is a far, far better player than Rudy Gobert. What will 
the Brooklyn Nets get. And if the Brooklyn Nets get anything less than what Utah got for Rudy Gobert, the Brooklyn Nets organization will take a beating. And if they take a beating, what does that then do to other free agents who look at the organization and go, eh, I don't want to play there. This has a long-lasting effect outside of the Kevin Durant trade with regards to how people perceive the organization. Look across the river at the New York Knicks. The Knicks have struggled for years to get a perception that puts them back into marquee status. And right now, they're trying to work with Utah, reportedly, to pick up Donovan Mitchell because, again, Utah is just sending everybody out, and they're going to start over. And Danny Ainge has shown he can do it. Look at the Boston Celtics, who made it to the NBA Finals. Yeah, they came up short, but that that team was put together by Danny Ainge before he departed. So he's he's got the framework to build the team, and it may be a couple of years before Utah sees success, but he has the the framework and the knowledge of knowing how to do it to do it. Now the Knicks have made trades. They have drafted questionably, all trying to bring their status back again to what I would call marquee level. And so as they try to figure out a way to bring the likes of a Donovan Mitchell into their fold, This is what Brooklyn is trying to avoid. Brooklyn, yes, they experimented with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, and now they have a Ben Simmons who we don't even talk about that much anymore on that roster. There are some pieces that could make them a contender. But just stop and think, if Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving are not traded before the start of the NBA season, and Brooklyn decides we're going to run these guys back. Let's see what happens. There's no history there to say that it will go well. There might be hope, but there's no history there to say it will go well. It's going to be a fascinating soap opera with that situation and what Brooklyn will be able to do in order to appease the likes of a Kevin Durant and trade, what they will get in return, and what that return will do for the perception of the organization. Now, perception, in many cases, becomes reality. So if people perceive that the Brooklyn Nets are a second-class organization, then you're not going to get a lot of talent that will want to play there. I just think it's going to be a, a fascinating look moving forward. And for our Milwaukee Bucks, just keep doing what you're doing. Just keep under the radar, keep adding components here and there, and and making, hopefully, a, a better run next year, and hopefully the, the injury bug won't do it. We, we thought the injury bug might be a problem, and you'd have to go back, I don't know how many episodes, when we, when we dealt with that and the fact that you had Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday after winning the NBA championship, getting on a plane and flying overseas to play for the USA in the Olympics, winning a gold medal there, that's a lot of wear and tear. It's a lot of games. It was a lot of extra games, and it finally caught up. Uh, obviously with Chris Middleton and him sitting in the series against Boston is what really cost Milwaukee not having anybody really who could hit consistently from the perimeter is what gave us the exit this year. And so hopefully with everybody healthy, with a few more uh, added elements 
to that Milwaukee Bucks roster. We'll get a we'll get another shot maybe at an NBA championship. But this soap opera in Brooklyn will continue. And for someone who likes to talk about things like this, I'm all in for it. All right, we're going to wrap things up with this episode of the 414 Sports Podcast talking about Juan Soto, who at the time of us putting this podcast together last night won the Home Run Derby as part of the All-Star festivities. But there's a bigger story with Juan Soto, and we'll get to it as we close things out, and we'll do it in just a sec. So as we wrap things up on this episode of the 414 Sports Podcast, baseball has a storyline, and it, it's just it's somewhat fascinating to think about. So Juan Soto, who won the Home Run Derby uh, as part of the All-Star festivities, was actually in the conversation with regards to baseball as we talk about headlines a few days ago. And that is because over the weekend, it was reported that Juan Soto turned down $440 million, almost a half a billion dollars, to remain with the Nationals in a 15-year contract. It was a contract that was guaranteed. It was a contract that I would say was front-loaded. You know, we've seen the Bobby Bonillas of the world as we have Bobby Bonilla Day every year get his one-point-whatever was it like three or four million dollars every year still being paid by the Mets who took the contract and extended it out and and so a guy who has not played probably in Major League Baseball for 20 years is still getting a nice salary check on July 1st or 2nd whatever it turns out to be and so Juan Soto was not going to have to wait to get his money the contract offer as reported by NBC Sports and Forbes and some other outlets talks about the fact that it was $440 million in the midst of that 15 years, and within that 15 years, that's what he would make. Now, Juan Soto currently is making $17.1 million a year on his current contract. And so by turning that down, it's obvious that Juan Soto wants to be traded. He wants out of Washington. That's fine. So now, again, much like what we were discussing in uh, or on, I should say, the NBA side, what do the Washington Nationals do in trading their marquee player, and what do they get in return? And so the Washington Nationals, ah, the Washington Nationals, he says five times fast, had to be just cowering watching the home run derby because seeing Juan Soto win just upped his value. And so maybe the Washington Nationals, now knowing that his value is up on one hand, is saying, maybe we'll get a little bit more for him. On the other hand, what it, I think it might be doing is adding more pressure to figure out from many surrounding the organization, like what you're going to do. So the Washington Nationals, and hopefully trying to remain relevant in the world of baseball, are going to have to figure out what do we do to trade the likes of Juan Soto, get something good in return, and not look as if we just let him go for nothing. 
I, I think it's going to be fascinating. And then on the other end of it, how does Juan Soto move forward if, heaven forbid, and I don't wish this on anybody, but injury is a part of the game? Or what happens if, as we've seen with some players who have participated in the home run derby, it altered their swing and they don't have the type of, shall we say, second half that they had in the first? There's all kinds of things when we're talking about a game like baseball that could interfere with Juan Soto getting the kind of contract or money that he is desiring. Or the fact that he turned down $440 million, is it more about, I just want to get out of Washington? Like, is he going to go someplace else and sign for a bit less than what the Washington Nationals were offering because he just wanted to have a fresh start someplace? These are all questions that at some point are going to eventually be answered. Now, Juan Soto, in the last two years, prior to this season, he hit 351 and 313. In 2020, he only had 13 home runs. In 2021, he had 29 home runs. This year, he's got 20 home runs, but he's only hitting 250. It's it, it's a gamble. It's a gamble these players take on their future and their worth and what they think they're able to get out there on the free market. And much like the Kevin Durant thing, I think the Juan Soto side of the soap opera with he and the Washington Nationals is going to be fun to watch as the season progresses into the second half. So have fun tonight. Watch the All-Star game. Enjoy it. I think it's one of the last professional All-Star games that's out there that's worth watching because it is somewhat competitive, not watching some of the things that we see, for instance, in the the uh, NFL in the Pro Bowl or the NBA All-Star game, which have dwindled into I, – I don't even know what to call them. It, it's not even playground stuff anymore. At least the Major League All-Star game, as far as baseball goes, still has a little bit of a competitive element to it. I'm sure at some point that will fade by the wayside, but at least as of right now, we still get some competition when it comes to watching some of the stars of the game today out there participating. So enjoy that. We're back in a couple of days. We'll have another episode to put out there for you. Until then, I'm Don Wachillis. Thank you so much for listening. Take care. Be kind to one another. We'll talk to you soon.